Welcome to episode 80 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, and I'm joined today by the very excited Pete DeMeo. It's number 80, Pete. I know. It's an even number. I've been waiting for this one for Not exactly 79 even. episodes. Not only is it even, it has a zero at the end. It makes it more important. That's it's why this special. is going to be a fantastic episode for everyone to listen to. Well, I hope so. You know, we're recording usually on a Friday with beer, beer in hands, and today we're doing it on a Thursday sans beer, so... Could go off the rails a little bit. This is what we sound like sober people. It sounds pretty much like we sound drunk. But Hey, Melissa's here too. Hey. hey. How are you today? I'm excited about the fact that it's episode 80 as well because as we've said before, 8 is my lucky number. And in numerology, 80 boils down to 8 because 8 plus 0 is 8. So it's just episode 8 to me. Okay, but 8 and 80 are different numbers. Yes, but if you follow numerology, you would add the two, two digits together. Okay. And so that equals eight. So your lucky number is 80 and 800 yes. and 8,000. All the, yes. And 8 million and 8 trillion, yes. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't know this. No. See, I felt like they were different numbers. You there, learn something new every day. I just day. learned there are a lot fewer numbers in the world than I had assumed there were. Yeah. So it's like 8,001. Does that round just to eight? Or I guess that would still goes be nine. goes to nine. Okay. Yep. There we go. Times negative or I completely don't know anything one. about numerology and I just made it all up. You have all the also numerology fans. What, what is numerology anyway? It's this. It's like study of numbers. Study of numbers, like astrology. Mm. You can tell all your oh, so stuff you're deferring about meaning from numbers. Yes. Okay. So yes. Very scientific. And Extremely scientific. It's like, it's like people that read dreams and yes, stargate tarot stars cards. And stuff. Tarot cards. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Facts. Hey, talking of facts, another fact. Phil's here in the room. Hey, hey Phil Fresco. Good to be back. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. Wish I had a beer. Wish it was Friday. Yeah. Well, you you can have a beer. No one's preventing you to, but we've got a lot of work to do yes. this afternoon. So Busy. Probably not a good idea. But uh, this this episode, we're going to be um, putting our data where our mouth is. We've been talking a lot about mobile recently and the importance, and we've been trying to show you some of our data some of other people's data so we thought we'd kind of pull it all together we're looking at the critio report and a response from mirai is that how they're pronounced we're guessing um, related to the critio report that we talked about a couple of weeks ago and we're gonna also throw in some of our own data and kind of either see if we agree or disagree who knows we'll find out uh but before we do let's see pd What's going on in the newsies? So I've got a newsie here, and it's from The Verge. And it says, Windows 10's next update will include Windows ML, which is Windows AI platform. And we talked about AI being one of the things to look out for in 2018. But we also talked about it being something that's going to be mostly behind the scenes that you're not, you don't realize you're actively engaging and in, in using AI when in fact you will be. So if you're one of the unfortunate people who are still using a Windows device, you will have <laughs> an AI built into your, your platform starting on their next big update. Now this is primarily for developers to allow them to use AI in app development and software development that will run on Windows devices. So things like you know visual recognition of photos, data analysis, things like that, that's all going to be integrated into Microsoft's AI platform. Womp, womp, yeah. womp, womp, womp. So. I don't know. Microsoft's been leading the way a little bit on open source AR, 
AI, they've got their is it Azure program that you can kind of, yeah, there's DKI for, mm-hmm. and you can, I think um, our friends at Flip2 use that for some of their photo um, recognition piece of their, their product. But there's a lot out there, you know, Google stuff, TensorFlow, there's stuff out there. If you want to develop an AI platform, you don't have to build the AI piece, right? So if you have a big data set and you need to crunch it and do some machine learning and let the computer do predictive analytics or photo recognition or whatever it is related to AI, there are tools out there. I was looking actually at TensorFlow yesterday and and just tinkering around with it. it. I mean, basically, if you know Python or a little bit of programming in Python, you can have some AI running really really quickly without doing any of the heavy lifting on your own you're just basically feeding in in projects of data and it does the computation right. for you and when you think nice. about what ai and machine learning is is it's a it's a dumb item until you t- teach it what you want it to do so any piece of ai once you put in the inputs and say hey i want you to start learning this it's going to to take it from there so you know from an accommodations perspective there's so many things that run you know, on a Windows backend, that does give us opportunity, you know, even in that world from a rate management or who knows what's going to come out of it, you know, down the road. Yeah, there are so many projects now that, that have AI as a component that you don't even realize, right? So it, it's, I think it's pretty safe to say the majority of software you use today within the next two or three years will have some kind of AI component to it if it doesn't already. Um, so, you know, I don't think this necessarily there's a big takeaway from this news item from for our listeners you know they're not the kind of folks that are developing their own ai applications but you know i think this is a prelude to to what we've been talking about which is it's ai is going to be baked into everything it it already kind of is in a lot of ways so this is just now that it's on the windows operating system it, it's just going to even more accelerate that fact absolutely pretty neat what else is on the newsies philip I found a cool thing on Search Engine Land today. Uh, Backlinko did an extensive analysis of some voice ranking factors. And we've Can talked we just to... stop for that? Did you say Backlinko? Backlinko. Backlinko. Yeah, I, I love that thing. name. That's so <laughs> good. I know. All right, sorry. It's okay. Um, we've been talking a lot about voice search lately and how it's more common, but they did a study to find out what the difference in ranking between that and desktop and mobile is and came up with a cute... Uh, queue of ranking factors here but um say page speed is a really significant factor wow what the speed oh, of your website is important wow we've never said that before even in voice search how about it wow um huh. it says google's relying very heavily on authoritative domains but not necessarily authoritative page authoritative pages but authoritative domains uh, trusted sites and if you if you're not sure what that is, I mean, t- there's free tools out there to give you what your domain authority is, right? Moz has yeah, Moz cool is Moz is good at that. Um, so yeah, just go search. How do I know my domain authority? And you can plug your URL in and see how you stack up against your competition. I'm skipping the next one because they didn't even seem certain about that. Go on, what is it? <laughs> content. Don't, don't tease us like that. Uh, content that ranks well on desktop tends to rank in voice search. This may be a correlation rather than causal, however. Yeah. Yeah. You should have skipped that one, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> but not tell us that you skipped it. Yeah, next time, just do just it. Just do it, yeah. Okay. Here's one that surprised me. Schema may not be a factor. Yeah, and I I, I get that, right? Because I don't think, even on um, desktop and mobile search, I, I don't believe there's evidence that suggests that schema is a direct ranking factor. I, I think what happens is when you use schema, you tend to get more real estate 
in a better looking snippet on the SERP, which leads to a higher click-through rate, it's more useful, which then is baked into the rank brain algorithm, which gets you a higher. So, you know, I get that. I get why schema probably doesn't influence voice because you're not seeing the extra marked up stuff like reviews, right, on, on a voice result. Makes sense? I, yeah, it makes sense to me. I just kind of expected schema to help the voice search algorithms. But... Well, I think, I think it helps in terms of indexing, right? right? I think it helps in terms of findability. I just don't think it helps in terms of a direct causal ranking factor. It makes sense to me. Yeah. All right, what's next? Uh, next one is roughly 41% of voice search results came from featured snippets, which, I mean, makes total sense to me. That's something that we see, you know, we see an answer box and a normal search. You're definitely going to get that answer box when you do a voice search. So that one, uh, I actually thought the percentage would be higher than 41%, but yeah. There and, we go. and to get the answer box or to nudge in a direction to help you get the answer box, sometimes schema can help with that, right? right. Well, so that was going to be my kind question. Of it kind of seems like those two are working together. Well, you don't have to have schema to get the answer box, no. right? It just, it again, it's about can Google understand what you're saying and the semantics of it? And if they can, you're more likely to get an answer box, which in turn, you're more likely now to rank on voice search. Here's a fun one. Voice search results are generally 29 words. However, Google sources voice results from long-form content. So they're only taking about 29 words out of a piece of big content, and that'll be your voice answer. Is it is it 29 consecutive words, or did they just arbitrarily randomly pick them and shuffle them around? <laughs> like the, 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 uh, yeah. uh, uh, uh. Yeah. I would hope I'm it's pretty, consecutive. I'm... Thanks, Stuart. <laughs> and, Just a question. Uh, I and uh, lastly, um, I wish they would have provided a percentage here, but HTTPS, so a secure site, is critical in being an answer for a voice search. Okay, so so let's back up and summarize, okay? <laughs> what we learned from this is to, to rank well for voice, you have to have a really fast site that is HTTPS, and you have to use schema right well we don't know you don't have to use you schema. don't have to but it helps it helps right you should use schema yeah so basically okay. I, I everything we tell you to even do even further is if you do what you need to do from a search perspective and do the best job you can you'll rank well from a desktop perspective and from a voice perspective yeah what? I, think, I think that's <clears throat> the crazy takeaway pete exactly <laughs> Like, to build a good website with best practices, with all the stuff Google and the other guys tell you to do, and you're going to be found. Like, duh. And sarcasm's a second language to me. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so all these people, all these snake oil salesmen that are out there now saying, we'll sell you voice search optimization and stuff. Well, you know, let's just find a company that's going to give you the best tool you can on, on the web. Your website, if it's optimized and it's, it's doing all the things it should... It's going to rank well for voice. Quit worrying about it, people. And, and do what we've been telling you for months and months and months. You know, one thing that's on that list that they definitely need to do is the HTTPS. That Google is going to start including that as, you know, something to, to focus on starting, I believe, it's in June. Yeah, and they've been saying it for a while that you yeah. should, right? And uh, Chrome browser now is giving warnings on forms and things like that if you're not secure. So... It, it, this is 2018. You you yeah. got to have a secure site. Yeah. So I mean, you have a little bit of time. You got a couple months. Make sure 
Come June, your site is running secure. It's not that hard. Don't wait till June. Do it. Do well, it. Yeah, now. I was say you got time to do it, but now's the time to act. And if you don't know how to do it, let us know because we that we do it for people all the time. You know, especially if you're on a product like WordPress, it's so easy to use a third-party hosting environment like WP Engine, and it's literally a couple of clicks. Costs you no money, other than having to maybe change some some of the code to reference HTTPS versus HTTP. Um, there's not a whole lot of it into it, you know. For for a few hundred bucks, you can have this done within a few days. It's not a big ordeal. So if anyone's telling you it is, stop listening to them and email info at fueltravel.com and we'll hook you up. All right. So that's the newsies. Let's move on to the subject matter at hand, which we're going to come up with a really clickbaity title, which you would have already read by this, but it's going to be something like. You'll never believe the mobile data that you have to know right now in 2018. <laughs> something like that, right? Or something a little shorter than that. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, we're going to be digging into some real numbers. Not just ours, but some of ours corroborate what we, we're seeing from third parties as well. So, Melissa, you put these notes together. I did. And it's funny how all my episodes revolve around numbers. <laughs> Like hard Coming facts. The analytics person, it's hard to believe, yeah, right? You should probably go into numbers, numerology, if you will, See? for, for living. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for those of you just tuning in for the first time, Melissa is our director of the analytics team here. So she is a total number nerd. And uh, she, you have never seen someone so excited about data in your life as Melissa gets. It's one of the most enjoyable things in this office when she <laughs> has that eureka moment or finds some data that's really like little nuggets or a that, tool that works that helps me pull the data better which yeah. is what i did when i was pulling together these notes exactly Still so got to witness my happy dance oh yeah <laughs> and, and it was literally a dance it was it was it was great all right so melissa kick it off all right so we as Stuart said we are pulling together some data from all different types of sources but what sort of Kick this one off was a recent post by Think with Google about how mobile phone usage influences hotel booking behavior. So they broke it down into two phases. One was talking about researching, and then one was talking about the actual booking process. So these are just a couple of tidbits that came out of that article. In terms of researching, 48% of US travelers feel comfortable researching, booking, and planning the entire trip to a new destination using only a mobile device. What was the percentage? 48%. So essentially half, half the people will do all their research on a mobile phone. And that's going to a new destination. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important that's part. That's the most important part. This is someplace they've never been before, and they're going from soup to nuts, from ground zero to all the way through the booking process Would on a mobile device. Would you say from device. A to Z? I might say from A to Z. I would say A to Z. Ooh. Yeah. So does, I mean, would you guys agree with that? Do you, when you're researching somewhere, primarily using mobile now? I am. I mean, my searches always start from a mobile device. Now, I wouldn't say that I feel comfortable going 100% start to finish to a new destination simply because I overanalyze, especially when I travel. Yeah, you're because, a spreadsheet guy, right? You, right. So I like to figure it out. I like to look at, you know, pictures. I like to check multiple places out. So, you know, while if I know where I'm going completely comfortable from a mobile device, but I still like to you know, look at it on a couple of different devices. 
Yeah, I feel from a new destination because I too am an overanalyzer. Imagine that. I like to look, I need an actual laptop. I need multiple browsers, all the windows and all the things to look at all at once, which is really hard to do on a phone. I'm the same way. Very, I don't want to say indecisive, but I like to, I'd have 10 windows open to find out what what I need. Maybe people are just less picky than we are in this room. Uh, well, I'm, I'm the opposite to you guys because I'm not. I mean, I'm analytical, but I, I don't over obsess about decisions. I'd rather just go boom, boom, boom. So, yeah, I, I very rarely buy anything at all on a desktop anymore. It's, it's almost exclusively on mobile. And primarily, honestly, um, you know, I, I use apps to book primarily now. I, I, I'll do research on the web, you know, yeah. just, but, but I'll also open up TripAdvisor's app and Expedia's app. And if I'm booking on a Marriott, say, I'll, I'll use Marriott's app. So I, I very rarely leave that environment and go to desktop. And there you have it. So three to one, it's close to two to two. So Sure. Yeah. All right, what's the next step? So next is looking at actual booking. So according to Google, across all devices, smartphone users cite price, uh, sorry, that's across all industries. Uh, smartphone users cite price as the most important factor in booking. And we're going to talk about price as uh, a very specific piece of data in a little while, but this does not surprise me at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems commonsensical, right? But it's good affirmation of, of our assumption that price is the primary driver. Not Certainly not the only driver and certainly not the the main for everyone you know yeah we we see location we see amenities we see um the value in the deal uh we see the reviews there's there's other factors but typically price point um price point to product is typically the number one driver now here's something that we've talked about numerous times and also not surprising Easy search functionality and a simple booking process were also mentioned as important. Imagine that. Go figure. People want things to be easy. <laughs> if only they said the word frictionless, if they would only. have been sounding just like us. Imagine that. So here's a number that I felt was underwhelming. 46% of U.S. travelers said researching hotels on their mobile device was easy. So hmm. less than half say that it's an easy process. I'd agree with that. To research. I mean, I, I would agree with that because... We've talked before about, and if we combine those last two statements, right, about frictionless, it's more important on mobile to be frictionless than it is on desktop. Absolutely. People have less time to spend discerning in making decisions on a mobile phone. Just the nature of how they use their mobile phone. It's in between stuff throughout the day, right, versus sitting on your desktop at lunchtime at work and having 30 minutes or an hour to do all your spreadsheets and, and figure all the things out like you guys are talking about when you do your research. I'm, that's not how we use our mobile phones, right? It, it's 10 minutes on the toilet. It's you know 10 minutes while I'm waiting for dinner to finish boiling or whatever it is, right? So you're on, always on a timer when you're on your mobile phone. You're, there's always something that's going to interrupt that flow, which is different than the desktop. So I think having something that's more frictionless on, on mobile is a lot, lot more important. And we've seen that, right? Because we see when we do tests that reduce friction in the booking process, the effect it has on mobile is greater than the effect it has on desktop. We've seen that repeatedly in our tests. So the fact that the majority, and I would say the majority of people have 
the the perception that it's not easy on a mobile phone, I 100% agree. Because how many times have we talked on this show about someone's booking engine opening in a new window on mobile? Right. Or not looking the same as the rest of the, rest of the website on mobile? Or being a little clunky and going off the screen on mobile, right? People have not invested the time in mobile that they need to invest today to get the maximum mobile bookings. And we saw that when we went to HSMAI a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about our data, right? We, we have hotels close to that mobile tipping point that are about to get to where the majority of their bookings are on a mobile phone. That is completely opposite to the rest of the industry, right? The, right. O, the OTAs are seeing 80% in some cases, of last-minute bookings are coming in on a mobile phone. The industry average for hotels is 16% of total bookings coming in from a mobile phone. It's it, crazy. Right. The same consumers, right? right? The same consumers are saying with their wallets, I will book on mobile if you make it easy for me, as the OTAs do. But guess what, hotel industry? You suck at making a mobile <laughs> experience, and only 16% are going to book. So that that number doesn't surprise me at all. Well, speaking of sucking, let me tell you about the next stat. <laughs> Over one third of smartphone users have a negative view of a brand if the experience on the website is slow. Say that again. Over one third of smartphone users have a negative view of a brand if the experience is slow. Over a third? Over a third. Which is surprising. I thought I it would be thought way would be more. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's true because if, if you pull out your phone, Stuart, like you said, if you're on a 10-minute timer and you're sitting there waiting for something to load, it's incredibly frustrating. And it's not just frustrating because you couldn't get your task done. is you see this hotel being a barrier to book at that hotel. Yeah, it's an interesting phrased question, right? Because if the question were... How many people think it sucks when a website is slow to load, right? It would probably right. be a lot more than a third. Yes. So, the, But the question wasn't that. It was, do they have a negative impression of the brand? Right. So so I think that's maybe, I'm mm -hmm. trying to justify the number, but I'm wondering if that's why the number was lower. Because do, do average consumers really even think about brand? Do they even Are they even conscious when they're going through the research of what the, the quote-unquote brand is? You know, are they just looking for, looking for, 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 put their head in at a price in a quality that they're you know in a location that they want so yeah, if you put that in context of a different industry mm -hmm. you know i think of uh i have ad blockers you know typically so when i'm reading a news site, you know it says you know there's a paywall either disable your ad blocker or you know go somewhere else i kind of see it almost in the same way where that becomes creates a negative impression i am annoyed at the Washington Post or whomever mm -hmm. it might be, because I want to read the article. I want to see what you have to offer, but you're just making it hard for me when you don't have to. I wonder if they, if that's a consumer thought of, oh, you didn't care enough to put the time into your website to make it fast enough, or if that's just something that you know I think being in the industry. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't, I don't think people think that detailed, right? They're just this is inconvenient to me. They're not thinking about it's a website that was built by someone that's yeah, running that's on a CMS that, that was gets cashed. Well, no, it's Pavlov's dog. There's an inconvenience and it's associated with a brand. So next time you see that brand, you think of the inconvenience. But only a third of people say they are. Because they haven't been exposed enough. It takes a lot of time to ring in the bell for yeah. the dog. Maybe they salivate. should buy a dog and get some candy. And then they'll be and okay. And show them a smartphone. And if it yeah. loads slow, <laughs> the so, dog is hungry. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's how it works. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty you, sure. you nailed it there. Yeah. Wow. All right. Moving on. 
some more fun facts with fuel. So we took... Oh, we need a jingle that says that. Pete, go ahead. More fun facts with fuel. <laughs> That's all I got. I like it. Oh, dude. So uh, in my very busy life, I took the time to analyze a slew of our clients' data, um, and I did focus specifically on one destination so that I would have a fair comparison of all the data and there would be no outside influencing factors like different seasons or things like that. Uh, so we're looking at approximately 40 different hotel properties data, and this is over the course of the last 12 months. And we looked at just a few snippets of hard facts, such as the length of stay, the booking window, and price as comparison points between desktop, mobile, and how things compare. So here's the down and dirty of what I found. In terms of length of stay, it looks to be that we are more likely to book a shorter length of stay on a mobile device than on a non-mobile device. We found 12% of bookings were one-night stays on a phone versus 6% on a non-phone, so that would include tablets as well. And as the length of stay gets longer, then the lower percentage of phone bookings and the higher percentage of non-phone bookings. So you have that relationship going on there. Not entirely surprising, I don't think, for that. Yeah, we, we definitely, I think that reinforces what our preconception was. Right? Yes. That it's lo- last minute is shorter and it's shorter because it's last minute. Right. Yeah. That, which is what I'm going to get to next, which is the booking window. And same day bookings had probably the largest discrepancy between phone and non-phone bookings. So we had 11% of bookings done on a phone or within the same day versus just 2% on a non-phone device. And what's really interesting is as you sort of expand the booking window, the numbers even out again up until 91 plus days. Then we're down to 14% of bookings on a mobile phone versus 20% on a not phone device. But looking at like the 8 to 30 day window, they're almost exactly even, 27 and 28%. So it's really, again, it's like the, the bookends of the booking window that we see the big differences. So really far out or really close in. Which makes sense, right? Last minute, you're going to be scrambling, limited time. You don't have time to do the research. You, you're more tolerant to do it on a phone, even if you're analytical like you guys. And then the opposite, if you're a plan, if you're booking, what is it, 90 days plus out? Yeah then you're a planner, right? Not many people are going to do that unless it's like their annual vacation or something like that. So those people are by nature planners because they're they're getting that far ahead and they're more likely to be analytical and they're going to want to use the desktop and do it the way you guys said. And the other thing to consider here as well is this is only (coughs) bookings. You have the research period that's taking place and that is absolutely taking place on a mobile regardless of when they're booking. They're typically going to be on that mobile device doing the research regards of where they end up booking. Well, that, I think that's a great point that, you know, because we, we are talking about bookings. You're 100% right. Right. But 100% or close to it of people are going to touch your mobile site right. at some point in the process. Whether yeah, it's I mean, booking or not, it's important. Right. I mean, the, the question is how effective are you at getting that visitor who's browsing your mobile device to go through with the process and book on it or you're making them, you're forcing them off to book and we know if they go to the OTAs, 
I mean, that's where their bread and butter is right yeah. now. And we, we've, you know, beaten this to death, but, you know, it, it's not only reducing the, the hurdles, but also applying that psychology that we've talked about in several episodes to nudge them through that conversion funnel as fast as possible and give them all those little tickles to their brain that say, oh, you better do it now or else you're going to be making a mistake. And so that, again, when we've done that with our mobile booking engine, it's had a tremendous effect. All right. So the next one was the thing I was most curious to see what the numbers were going to show, because it's something that we've talked about in the past and we've hypothesized about, but we were really kind of just going on with our gut instincts. So this is talking about how ADR trends can, you know, influence which device gets used. So I broke out our properties by some sites with much lower ADRs and on the higher end of ADRs and tried to compare traffic bookings and revenue between those two groups. So in terms of traffic, not a huge difference in terms of people coming in on a mobile device. We had 60% come to the website with lower ADRs versus 52% with higher ADRs. Some difference, but again, we've been saying we've already reached the first mobile tipping point of traffic and this even for higher ADR properties, we were at 52%. So that remains the same. In terms of percentage of bookings on a mobile phone though, the lower ADRs were about 37% and higher ADRs were at 29%. So now we're starting to see a much bigger difference in numbers and the gap grows even further when we talk about it as a percentage of revenue. For percentage of revenue, we're at 38% on a phone versus 25% for uh, higher ADRs on a phone. So again, that gap just continues to grow. And maybe to me, the most interesting thing was when I looked at it as a percentage of difference in revenue of what was booked on a phone versus a not phone. So for lower ADRs, the difference was only 6% in revenue on average booking, 6%. So it's, it's virtually nothing, right. but on the higher ADRs, it was 21%. Yeah. So on a desktop, it if was you have a high ADR property, you're paying 21% more for your experience. Now it's going to be longer length of stays and things like that, but right. Yeah. It's not that like the price is different, right? right. It's right. The, the booking itself is different. Either it's right. in a peak, more peak season or longer length of stay or a, a nicer mm. room or whatever. It's interesting. So, I mean, that, that does, we, we talked about this again previously on the show about our low ADR clients tend to be the ones that are leading the pack from a mobile booking perspective. And this, this bears out. I mean, this almost tells you it looks like there's negligible or very small difference between the behavior on a mobile phone and a desktop on a low ADR property. Right. It's insane. Yeah. What's interesting here as well is, you know, in terms of just pure hotel marketing, ignoring the guests' you know, behavior, if you're a low ADR property, typically we've seen them to be the ones who are farther behind the curve in you know, building new websites, adopting mobile technology. But the, it's more important for them than anybody. Yeah. You know, if you have a, a lower ADR property, regardless of who your clientele is, they are more likely to book. So you really need to think more from a marketing perspective, more from a technology perspective than that GM that's sitting at the, the four-star property. Agree. Really, really good point. Yeah. All right. So looking a little further into this and 
we're not going to beat a dead horse here too much, but there's a company called Mirai that put out a response to the Critio study that we talked about a couple podcast episodes ago. And it pretty much corroborates the data that we just found and the same information that was in that Critio data as it pertains to mobile. So they looked at a couple things over multiple years, et cetera, et cetera. And they also said that trended over time, phone and the desktop gap is getting smaller. Not surprising. We've been saying that. Everything points to that. Uh, they said that the average booking window does not decrease at the same pace as the length of stay. And the reason is the other variable, which is ADR. Hmm, we just said that. So that corroborates our data as well. They said that little advanced time and a short stay result in a greater use of smartphone bookings, which we've also said as well. Uh, for them, they said it registered for almost 40% of single night bookings for the same day. 40% mm -hmm. on a mobile phone, same night, one, or same day, one night. It's a lot. Yeah, which makes sense, right? I mean, a lot of times last minute, you do just need a hotel that night. Like, I do that when I go, maybe I'm going to a soccer game out of town with my kids or something like that, and I'll wait till the last minute. We're, we're deciding, are we going to drive back tonight or not? And last yep. minute, we say, yeah, just, let's just stay. They said that bookings made well in advance for long stays registered a low use of the smartphone. Only 11% of bookings for five nights or more with 60 days in advance were made with a mobile phone. Again, that's the same exactly data that we're seeing data. as well. And the final point is that the lower the rate, the larger the use of the mobile phone to book. As the rate grows, the use of the mobile phone decreases in favor of desktop. So I'm glad to see that all of our industry peers are finding the same data. Or, or at least two of them. Or at least two of them. That's yeah. all. <laughs> two is all. <laughs> They're the only peers we have. Everyone else is beneath us. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> No, it's really cool. You know what's funny is when we when we were putting together the notes, because we've been kind of working on this episode or at least the data piece or talking about it for a while, when uh, when Mirai, is that their name? When they came out with their blog post, I remember you IMing me the link and saying, son of a nutcracker. <laughs> they beat <laughs> me to it. I did say that. <laughs> they beat me to it. Um, but we, you know, what, what I'd like to do is, you know, we've got the data in the show notes, but I think we need to do a more expanded blog post on this with some graphs and things like that as well just uh so we'll, we'll work on that in the over the next couple of weeks but the the show notes which can have all all our data is going to be available at fueltravel.com podcast and you can click on episode 80 and there is one more little tidbit which was not part of any of these studies but also came out recently in a business traveler.com article and it's talking about mobile payment and the article was quoting uh, the CEO of Accor Hotels, who says that mobile payment, he sees mobile payment as a bigger threat than the OTAs. Talk amongst yourselves. A mobile threat? Hmm. Well, uh, not a mobile threat, but a bigger threat than the OTAs. That if basically if hotels are not adopting. able to accept yeah. mobile, pay mobile payment. Right. And, and let's, let's separate this conversation, right? Because there's two, two sides to this coin. One is mobile payment in terms of on-property mobile payment. So point of sale, when you check in, all that, all that governs, right? So you, you want to be able to take a phone out of your pocket and use Google Wallet or Apple Pay or whatever to actually perform the transaction when you're checking in, when you're buying a cheeseburger, when you're having a beer, whatever it is. 
on property. And we're seeing a trend towards that in the US. But if you look over at Europe and even more so at Asia, and he pointed this out too, it is the norm. Like over 80% of transactions in China now, are like on-premise transactions are done via some kind of mobile payment. And they, they anticipate that could be get as high as 100% within the next several years. U.S. is always, sorry to break it to you guys, U.S. is always behind the, the Europe and Asia when it comes to adopting this kind of technology. You guys, for heaven's sake, only just got chip and pin. That blows my mind. It's been out in other places for like a decade. It's crazy. What is, you mean chip? Is like a British restaurant? What is chip? <laughs> Fish and chips and pins. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, it does and, sound like and a restaurant. It does. Like chip um, and pin. I want to go there. So, so I, you know, uh, we had this conversation this week with one of our large clients because they're trying to prioritize their IT infrastructure investments, things like that. I, I, you know, although if you're a Starbucks, if you're a Dunkin' Donuts, those folks are getting a lot of mobile transactions, right? Even some grocery stores are now. I don't see the demand at, at a lot of the hotels that we work with, the, the ones in resort destinations, right? The, the blue collar kind of resort destination. Mm-hmm. There isn't a demand for this technology yet. I think within two, two years, certainly there will be a, a heavy demand. So you need to have this on your roadmap of investment. If it were me, I'd be looking more at the, the uh, magic band kind of technology and, and just take care of all of this, not with the phone, but let's have every point of sale be completely frictionless where someone can use their swipe card with an RFID chip or, or a magic man kind of technology. But get that get that for sure on your roadmap over the next couple of years. And I think it's a bigger deal than that. Because yeah, so like Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks, they have the app which you can pay through. But most of the time you can still use Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, whatever it might be pay. Mm-hmm. And to me that needs to be happening almost immediately. Because only I- even at Starbucks that's only forty percent of their transactions today. Right, right, forty, I, but that's forty percent, and I, I think people they would use it more when they see that it's available. So, for instance, it's sure. a lot of times I'll put my card in to make a payment at wherever it might be, and they'll say, "Oh, I could have used Apple Pay, and it would have saved me a few seconds." And then next time I'm there, my wallet never even comes out. If right. I'm at a, a hotel, I would love to say I can leave my wallet in the room mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. just have my phone on me. Yeah, let me tell you about a female perspective on this. When I go to the grocery store now, I look to see if there's a little thingamajigger where you can put your phone up against mm-hmm. the thing. And I get really annoyed if I can't because now I have to go into my purse. I, this is a process. I have to go dig out my wallet, open up my wallet, and take out my whatever ATM card or whatever it is. It's so much different than just putting my phone up to the little device. It's It, it, it makes a difference. I mean, to me, it, if you're a hotel, you... One, you want to give the customer the best experience. But if you can remove any potential negative experience, that's just as good. So if they go to the, the bar and they just pull out their phone and, and touch a button and all of a sudden they have their drink, that was a great experience for them. And it's going to encourage them to maybe have another drink or stay longer. It's also a time saver, right? I mean, isn't just a lot quicker? Like Melissa said, you're not late. It's, you're not waiting for a lady to have to dig through a purse to find her phone to make a payment. It's just faster. Yeah, I, I think paying with a card is going to be the equivalent of writing a check yeah. in a couple oh. years. Not, not very long yeah. from now. Yeah, I, and I agree with you. I, I think we're heading that way. But I would say, you know, for, for our clients, right, independent, our target audience, independent properties, I don't think they have to drop everything they're doing and invest in this right now. This is not a cheap endeavor, right? To replace all your point of sale 
is is going to be a big investment. And I don't think you have to do it in 2018. Personally, I think if you can, absolutely do it. Does it reduce friction? Absolutely. Does it increase guest experience? Absolutely. But the expectation is not there yet, right? If you go to a Marriott or a Hilton today, they don't have this technology yet, right? So, so as an independent property, the expectation coming in from a guest is not that you're going to have it. If you do, great. Surprise and delight them. Bonus, right? But I, I, all I'm saying is in your list of priorities, this is not number one right now. However, the, the flip side to this is online mobile payments. And I think that is a much bigger priority, right? Yes. Because we talk a lot about friction. We talk a lot about making it easier for people, especially on mobile, to make a payment. The biggest hurdle to making booking on a mobile phone is digging in your purse, mm-hmm. pulling out your credit card, t- manually typing in 16 digits, hoping you get it right. And an expiration date. And an expiration and, and a CDB. Right. That, that's the biggest single friction point right now. So if you can reduce or eliminate that, that to me is going to have a bigger business impact on you mm-hmm. you in 2018 than point of sale, right? Because you've already got them there. Maybe you can get incremental sales with a better POS, but realistically, you want to get the bookings. You want to get the room revenue. And, and the way to do that is to make the payment piece a lot more frictionless. And there's multiple ways to do that. We, we do with guest desk and we're rolling out more payments um, options all the time. We've got PayPal integration. We're working on Amazon. We're working on Google Wallet and Apple Pay. Having those available in your booking engine itself, no brainer. Absolutely, you should should have those kind of options. And then also, and I want to do a whole episode on, on the, the evolution of loyalty programs or what I think should be called reward programs versus loyalty programs. Um, but if you create some kind of reward program that similar to like a Marriott Rewards, and you give someone a reason to log into your website and they're a past guest and you have their credit card information and it's tokenized from whatever PCI compliant vault you're using, remembering their credit card information, just like Amazon does, Mm -hmm. would be huge. And that you are going to see your mobile conversion rate skyrocket if you can just eliminate that and do one-click bookings. So that, that piece, I think, is way, way higher on the priority list than point of sale, personally. I agree with you on that. But I still like the idea of just not having to worry about it if you're on site, especially if you're a, you know, a vacation destination versus yeah. business where people tend to be, you know, walking around with laptops and yeah. wallets and things. Yeah. And especially if you can combine that with your, your door key as well, sure. you know, like if it's your phone or a magic band or a swipe card, whatever it is, but that's the only thing you need. And it's, if hopefully it's waterproof too, right? Especially if you're going to the pools or the ocean or whatever it is, uh, Disney has it right with the Magic Band, man. I, I spent way more than I had budgeted, and I was glad that I did because we had a great time, and I didn't even think about it until I got home. Because it, works. it was frictionless, yeah. So de- definitely, you know, you need to be planning on the point of sale. If you have the the, the capital to invest in it, go, and, go ahead and do it now. But certainly have to do it within the next two years, either way. And so it was said. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know what's funny is that that article um, has been shared with me more than probably any other article in in recent memory. Like I've, I've had at least twelve different people send me that same exact article with the CEO of Accor Hotels. Hmm. So it, it it's definitely a hot button, right? Everyone's thinking about it, 
and uh, especially when we look to our brothers and sisters um, in Europe and Asia where they're leading the pack and and we're, we'd be remiss to, to not mention that we have people in Asia and Europe that listen to this show you know all these talking points we're really talking about the US market if you're in Asia or Europe you need to be on this yesterday because this is a lot lot more important to you than, than it is to America at this point all right yeah yeah do so, we want to keep going on the hotelier wishes yes we do we've still got a handful more so we need to keep going and if you if you didn't get your 2018 wishes in to it's us it's not too late it it's is still not. 2018 it is uh which in numerology is 218 <laughs> so there you go that's yeah no i'm kidding <laughs> no. or or is it 2000 no it could be 20,180 and you have to add all the digits together are you adding them together? You have to add them oh, together. man. So two plus one plus eight. Okay. So we're at 11. So then you have to add those two. So you need a single digit. So we're at the year so it's two. One. So it's two. Okay. You add one. Okay. I gotcha. Pete, one plus one is? Ah, I don't know. Hang Even on. the music major in the room can figure one plus one out. Man. That's about as far as I go. Yeah. So that blew my mind that it doesn't equal 11. So then you have to keep Yes. You have to down. keep okay. reducing it. My brain hurts. So much more than hotel marketing. All right, so anyway, so, if you want to submit yeah. your wishes, you can do so on Twitter at Fuel Travel. Uh, you can also email us, info at fueltravel.com, and tell us what your 2018 wishes, and we will read it out on the show at some point. But we already have some in the bank, so what's next on the list? We have to do a two-for-one today because one is referencing another person's wish, so I'm going to do two of them today. We'll start with our friend ed st ange at flip two hey and he's gonna be in uh, model beach next week he's oh, gonna really? come into the fuel office yeah. oh awesome we're gonna do something fun for him when he comes in like yeah we, we did when ricky came absolutely okay all right so he says that his wish is for every member of a hotel's team to audit the entire guest journey from search to post stay mm. amen That's a good one yes that's a big undertaking yes and Lauren Gray says that uh, I want to be as right as Ed is certain. <laughs> <laughs> After that, I would say a magic integration tool for all platforms from PMS, CRM, channel management, marketing platforms, and website with the ability to centrally house for those properties their data. Oh, and a real lightsaber, since you asked. <laughs> so let's focus on the important part of that. The, the lightsaber. The lightsaber, for sure. Yes, I yeah. wish we could, but alas, we cannot. But what both of them are really on the same kind of vein, right? They're, they're saying complete integration with the whole team aligned behind a, set, a common set of goals, common data. That That is the holy grail for the hotel industry. We're moving in that direction. You know, we're seeing that uh, the, the revenue managers in the marketing team are, are kind of merging together. And Ed, you know, Ed and Lauren and I uh, co-host along with a couple of other folks, the weekly This Week in Hospitality Digital Marketing um, show for HSMEI. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you're not watching that, it's, it's interesting. Um, we have a lot of fun. It's kind of like the podcast, very, very kind of, um, I don't know, unprofessional would, would be the way you describe <laughs> it. I don't know. Uh, laid back, but informative. But Ed frequently says on that show that in every other industry, you don't have this separation between the person setting the price and the person that's actually merchandising and doing the, the marketing piece. That's one role in every other industry. If you look at retail, 
you know, we, we have a background here at Fuel. We used to work a lot with apparel companies. And it was always one person that was in charge of marketing and, and, and pricing. That That's the same thing. So why it's separated in the hotel industry is, is kind of bizarre. It's the only industry that's kind of like that. So it's really good to see that that, that is merging together. And then to Lauren's point, the data, 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 data is so important. And in, in no one's really sharing data the right way. No one's using data from all their systems at once. It, it would be great if that existed. Yes, it would. That would be my 2018 wish. <laughs> Yeah. That that and numerology becomes a recognized science. Science, sure. Yeah. I really don't know enough about it to even have an opinion. Yeah, I, I really feel bad because we probably insulted some people that are into numerology on the and, and we shouldn't judge because we don't have any any knowledge of this subject whatsoever. Exactly. So, like I said, I may have just made up the rules. Okay. <laughs> so, if if you know if you're a numerologistist, then uh, let us know if we were wrong because we're happy to be wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah. so that that's, that's so not a friday today yeah it's kind of fizzling out usually it kind of it, it crescendos you know and uh it's usually alcohol induced i think but today it's kind of fizzled out nonetheless it was a great episode thank you for putting the notes together melissa My well pleasure. i think that the data was very compelling um i think it reinforces a lot of what we've been saying and and a lot that we all need to be paying attention to so hey pete yeah how are the bees Bees are doing okay. I think I may have actually lost one of my hives, though. Oh, no. So, like misplaced it? Or? No, like the, I think the queen died. So oh, we had a really shoot. cold bit in, I guess, what, early February? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think they had enough you know, energy to make it through that. My other any, hive is doing great. You didn't give – Did you You should have A-B test and give one of them the – Well, technically I did A-B test because my A-hive is dead. <laughs> <laughs> but what did you do differently? <laughs> You know, I don't. I don't you didn't know. Didn't give them the little patties of whatever it was. So I started doing. I started doing that when it started warming up because okay. you can't do that too early. But yeah, I think one of them is dead. So I'm looking into either paying 150 bucks to get a new queen and starter hive, or hoping that I can get a hive split soon. But yeah, so it's never mm. dull in the bee world. Wow. Beep 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 beep. Well, that, that's really sad, man. You just yeah. brought us down even lower. We were kind of fizzling. Man. I'm sorry, just, like, killed us. I really hope the queen's not dead. Long live the queen. I, I think she is. I think she's, she's how, gone. How can you verify this? When you look in, there's nothing in there. They, like yeah, the bees are not like corpses dead. or anything? Not many, because most time when a bee is going to die, it leaves the hive. Oh, really? Yep. So, so when the queen dies, do the rest of the workers and stuff, do they like jump ship and go to the other hive? Or well, no, because... Do? So the queen will, if the queen dies, the hive will try to create a new queen. Right. If they have, you know, baby bees, you know, the growing. larva, right? Yeah. yeah. So if they have those, they can try they'll to give them the royal jelly. And right. They'll try to turn that one into a queen. Yeah. But if it's not the right season and they don't have any larva, which this time of year they wouldn't, oh, they bees just get older and older and then they die. What's coming up next oh. on the Apiarist podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Probably how not, how not to kill your bees. I don't know oh, what I did, man. but I feel bad about it. Wow, plot twist. This is oh, really bum, bum, this bum. Is a bummer, man. Hey, I have a concert tomorrow. Oh, you do? I where, do. Where are you playing? At the same place, North Myrtle Beach. For all the old folks? For all the old folks. What's on the um, set list? Things that nobody else will know. Is it all classical? Rage no. Against the Machine. Yeah. Yeah. You won't do what you tell me. <laughs> um, it, it's all good stuff. Are you doing the John Williams stuff yet? I keep telling There's you. no John Williams stuff, but there is this one composer that we keep playing that sounds very John Williamsy. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, Rosano Galante. 
Oh, you said And not only are we playing one of his pieces, but he Skyped into one of our rehearsals and critiqued us, and we had a whole one-on-one with him. Oh, really? It was That's pretty, pretty awesome. Cool. awesome. Yeah. Wow. Did he tell you you needed to fix your leaky He pads? said we sucked. Wow. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> I hope not. That's really good. Yeah. When, that's tomorrow? Yeah. I'm out of town. So you need to start, keep working on Metallica so then you get James Hetfield to call in. Yeah. Yes. That would be awesome. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, we haven't had you do the clarinet in a while. We need to um, get you on the yeah. show again. Well, nobody's requested anything. This is true. Pete, uh, Phil, you want to request something? Oh. Rage Against the Machine? Yeah, I want to hear Rage Against the Machine on a clarinet. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Right. Oh, well, no. if you have a request for Melissa or uh, for bees, for, for, well, let's do Melissa first. If you have a <laughs> request for Melissa for playing something on the clarinet, where can they find you, Melissa? I am on Twitter at M A Cavanaugh, M A K A V A N A G H. And Phil, you can find me on Twitter at P Fariska, P F O R I S K A. And Pete, if someone wants to send you a bee, <laughs> they can send me a bee via Twitter to P Demeo, P D I M. A-I-O. I hope you get a bunch of B gifts. Oh, see, that would be awesome. <laughs> I hope that too. Do you say gifts or gifts? Gifts. I thought you said no gifts. No T. And it's not gifts, yeah. it's gif. Yeah, it is gif. Uh, you can find me at Stuart Butler on Twitter. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. Uh, you can get the notes to this episode at fueltravel.com slash podcast. Click on episode 80. That's eight zero, Not eight, if you're a numerologist. That's a completely different episode. Completely. Um, if you have any uh, wishes or requests or ideas for topics or questions, we get a lot of questions recently that I've been fielding on Twitter, just short questions that didn't really need to be addressed on the show, which is great. So if you have any of those, then uh, just shoot us an email, info at Fuel Travel. And until next time, you've been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. <laughs>